Would you uh, pray with me as we ask God's blessing on his word preached? Let's pray. Father, we uh, pray that through your son you might teach us wonderful things from your word. Emmanuel, God with us, come and be the one who teaches us, Lord Jesus. For when you speak, you speak with power. And when you speak, broken things are healed. And when you speak, sinful things are redeemed. And when you speak, hurtful places are healed. And so we pray, come and give us hope. Hope in your finished work and hope in your coming again. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, today we begin our celebration of Advent. Doesn't the sanctuary look beautiful? Thanks to everyone who helped decorate it last week just in time for this beautiful spring day that has arrived in December. You know, if you're, uh, if you're visiting with us and maybe aren't familiar with the season of Advent, um, Advent just simply means coming. It is Latin uh, for uh, coming. And the history of this tradition is a little vague, uh, like many traditions. Um, we don't find this tradition laid out for us in Scripture. It's one of the ways that Christians over the centuries had tried to make sense of God's Word and create a, a rhythm for life. Historically, though, it has been a season of preparation. A lot of times in the church, um, in some traditions, the decorations don't even go up until the night of Christmas Eve. It's a, a season to emphasize that the life of the Christian is a life of waiting, waiting uh, for God to work. And so this is where we're going to go this season. We usually pick a theme for our Advent season. And this season, we're going to really carry a theme of waiting. That's why we're here in First Peter chapter 3. Um, it's why uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to go to three parables on waiting um, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. But here in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, really Peter is just kind of repeating himself. He's like waiting. This is what Christian's posture is waiting. Three different times he repeats the word. In verse 12, the Christian is living between the advents and waiting and hastening. And that's actually going to be our theme today and in coming weeks. Waiting and hastening the coming day of the Lord. In verse 13, he reminds us that we live between the advents, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And life lived between the advents is waiting by faith. According to his promise, he says, we are waiting. Verse 14, waiting means, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And so this is what Peter is doing. He's encouraging the church because they're wondering, when is God going to show up and do something about our brokenness and the brokenness of this world that we live in? They're facing persecution. Their things are dire at times. Lives are being, properties being taken away. Lives of Christians are being taken away. And they've realized that once you become a Christian, it doesn't fix all of your problems. It's not all uh, roses and apple pie after that. It's a time of 
difficulty and trials. And it's like Egypt. It's like Israel coming out of Egypt. There was a point of redemption and then wandering in the wilderness for 40 years before they entered into the promised land. And that becomes the sort of narrative of the Christian life. And they've realized this. They've been in Christ long enough that they're wondering, what's God up to? Has he just abandoned us? And, and Peter is saying, no, he's not abandoned you. There is just this posture of the Christian life. It's waiting. Waiting's difficult. It is unavoidable, but it's difficult. I'm impatient. If you know me and if you've ever ridden with me, you realize just how impatient I am. I get annoyed when I go to Walmart and check out lines take three minutes too long. And three minutes too long is a short time at Walmart. My temper rages on the war- road when person in front of me goes too slow. My, my youngest now says, Dad, honk. Train up a child in the way she should go. Children, Christmas morning seems like it takes forever. You see the presents that are under the tree, but you've got to wait to open them just to find out what's inside. And collectively, uh, studies have shown that our attention spans have dropped in half over the past two decades. The average attention span is now down to a whopping eight seconds. My computer's so slow. My phone takes so long to open an app. I need a new one. Dad, I need a new phone. My phone takes eight seconds to open an app. I hate waiting. And for most of us, we're struck in a really difficult season of life, and we're just waiting on God to show up and do something about it. There's promises of redemption. When are you going to do something about this? I've been in this season for so long. But the deeper struggle with waiting is... The thing that really makes it really difficult is that it reveals something about us. It reveals that we want to be in control and we're not. Waiting sort of has this collective effect of saying, this isn't your world and you're not running it. It reveals, it exposes that. It doesn't expose, just expose that waiting's difficult and we want to be in control. It exposes that we aren't in control. Waiting's like this loud call. It's like this siren that says, look, you're just a dependent creature and you're weak. You can't do something about this. God has to show up. And we don't like that. But it's amazing how often the Bible tells us to wait. Beginning to think this week that, you know, I often say the number one command in the Scripture is remember. Because we're forgetful. Remember what God has done. Remember His promises. Remember His covenant. Don't forget. But maybe the second command that is most frequently repeated is wait. Wait on the Lord and He will renew your strength. Isaiah forty thirty one. It's good that one should wait on quietly for the Lord, for the salvation of the Lord. Lamentations three twenty six, Psalm thirty seven seven. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. The songs which are sort of the key to the emotional life 
of a human being. If you really want to know what your emotional life should be like, read the Psalms, and this theme shows up on every single page. Amidst lamentation over brokenness, amidst pleas for help, wait patiently for the Lord. And so the Advent season breaks in, and it's a season that reminds us that we are waiting for Jesus to make the world right again. We're waiting for him to come and put things right. And so we've got to, as Christians, we've got to celebrate both Advents. We've got to celebrate as we look backwards at the first coming of Jesus and grasp the hope that that gives, but also look forward to the second coming of Jesus and the hope that gives. The the Christian is constantly looking behind them and in front of them, recognizing there are two realities that give us hope and break into our time of waiting and, and give us something for our weak faith, a place to It's hold on to kind of lean on the shoulders of Jesus as we look backwards, right? The gospel tells us simultaneously, look, things are not the way they once were. Things are also not the way things will be. Christ has come and Christ is coming again. And you know, when God took on human flesh, it was a profound act of God. Right, That little baby in a manger entered into, was God entering into a broken world and he, to do something about it. And he has done something about it. It's easy to like the picture of a sweet baby Jesus, like Ricky Bobby's little eight pounds, six ounce, newborn infant baby Jesus. Don't know a word yet. But he didn't stay that way. That cute little baby isn't a cute little baby anymore. He's a raging king who holds all power and authority. He rules the nations. He governs history. He commands the angels. Jesus is no longer in a state of humiliation. He has entered a victorious state of exaltation. And he's not done yet. He's coming back. And that's what Peter is reminding the followers of Jesus, what they are waiting for. They're not just waiting, they're waiting for something. Verse 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are being stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. How about that for an Advent verse? And that God's holding back that day. He reminds them in the following verses, God's holding back that day. He's patient. He's not slow, as some count slowness. He's patient. Why is Jesus not returned? God's holding back that day of judgment and fire so that all would come to faith. He desires all come to repentance. Aren't you thankful that he held back that day of judgment? Till the day that you could come to faith and repentance in Jesus. He's patient. But then he reminds us in verse 10 that he won't be patient forever. The day the Lord will come. It will surprise us like a thief in the night. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in them will be exposed. Then there will be a better place. It's not, that's not 
ultimate, what's ultimate verse 13 is this. According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Not sin and brokenness anymore. Righteousness dwells there. Sin doesn't. There's no place for it. It's a better place. God's refined it by fire. He's burnt away everything in this world and in our lives that are broken. The dead will be raised. What was sown corruptible will be raised incorruptible. And that place where righteousness dwells, God will wipe away every tear. No more sickness. No more sleepless nights. No more broken marriages. Only a place where Jesus dwells in all of his glory, having made everything right again. That's Advent hope. But it's a waiting hope. But it's also a grounded hope. That's not wishful thinking. Wishful thinking ignores hard reality and brushes it aside. That's not Advent hope. The gospel does not diminish the massive impact of the fall. It takes into account real pain, real sorrow, real brokenness, real sickness, really hard life in a broken world. And it tells us God has done something about it in the first coming of Jesus. He will do something about it in the second coming of Jesus. You see, waiting and hope go together. This is what Advent reminds us. This is what it means to live between the times. That's our theme. Living between the Advents with hope. I love Fleming Rutledge. If you've not read, if you want one of the best books on the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross, read Fleming Rutledge. If you want a good book on Advent, read Fleming Rutledge. Fleming Rutledge, this is what she says. The disappointment, brokenness, suffering, and pain that characterize life in this present world is held in dynamic tension with the promise of future glory that is yet to come. And in Advent tension, the church lives its life. Things are not what they once were, but things are really hard still, and things are not what they will be. And so waiting and hope go together. It's a waiting hope. A hope that says God has done something in the person of Jesus. And he'll do something. There's a third waiting, a third advent that we plead for. God, come and do something. Do something in my life now. And it's a grounded hope. It's the now and not yet. I mean, the life between the advents creates this little bit of tension. I'm, I'm new creation in Christ, but I belong to the new creation that's yet to come. I've been freed from sin. Its power no longer has dominion over me, but it's still present in my life. And I'm longing for the day when it will be no more. You say that I've clothed with the righteousness of Christ, but that's not what I experience. My experience is I still sin against you a lot. But what you are, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. 
but what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's who you are. Reality, what you feel, what you think, what you believe, your faith wanes and wavers, but you are in Christ. And that will continue forever and ever. This is the theme that we'll explore over the next four weeks. What it looks like to hope while we wait and how it creates an active waiting. Because that's the next question that Peter asks in verse 11. What does it look like to actively wait with hope by faith? Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved... He asks the question, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? In other words, since this is the future, this present age is in our destination, what sort of people ought we to be who live between the advents? Like you aren't who you are, you aren't who you once were, but you aren't who you will be. So what kind of people ought you to be as you're waiting for Jesus to show up? And his answer is, not this kind of people. We're just twiddling our thumbs, sitting around and waiting. It's not kind of doctor office waiting. His answer is wait actively. This is, a, this is an amazing thing to say. But verse 12 says it this way. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in your lives of holiness of godliness? Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Wait actively and you will hasten the day when the new heavens and new earth come. You know, the Houston airport recently uh, was, well, was receiving a steady series of complaints because people have to wait for their luggage. Eight minutes. It took people, on average, eight minutes to wait for their luggage. And so they were receiving a constant sea of complaints about this. And so they did the, uh, the most obvious thing. They shortened the wait. You know, they, they just sped up the process to get their luggage there, hired more people, put better systems in place. People were getting their luggage much quicker. And people were still complaining. The complaints did not drop at all. And so they, they, the next thing that you do, you call up an expert on waiting. And he suggested something very unconventional. Move the gates further out. So they moved the gates further out and they lengthened the time that it took passengers to get to the carousels. And you know what happened? The complaints dropped off. No one was complaining anymore. It was actually taking longer to get their luggage, but they were happier because their waiting was now occupied with an activity, walking. Interestingly, this is why there are mirrors. Uh, if you're uh, at an uh, elevator stall with lots of elevators, this is why they're mirrors, because they give you something to do. Watch next time. If there's lots of elevators, there's lots of mirrors. Give us something to do. If we're occupied with activity, uh, waiting does not seem as long. And so Peter says, look, there's things for you to do. You can actually wait and hasten the day of the Lord. 
I get the waiting part. That squares with a good bit of scripture. God sovereignly acts. He does what he wants. He does it when he wants. He always has a plan. He always executes it. But the hastening part has always baffled me. I mean, even Jesus said he doesn't know when the Father will send him. He doesn't know when asked when he will turn. He says, I don't know. Only the Father knows. And yet, Peter says, we hasten. We wait and hasten. We can speed up the timeline. But when you look at Old Testament prophets, this is actually a very frequent theme. God would, through the prophets, set a future date when some act of judgment would come. I'm going to destroy Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. The Babylonians are going to come in and I'll destroy Jerusalem. And, and the people of Jerusalem repent. God pushes the day further back. It happens over and over to, with Jonah. I'm going to send Jonah. Jonah, go tell him. I'm going to destroy Nineveh. The people of Nineveh repent. God pushes it back. Nineveh eventually is destroyed, but the timeline is moved. It's set further out. And here's what Peter's saying. Look, you can move. We can, together, we can move that timeline closer. We can speed up this timeline. This is going to happen. The Lord Jesus is going to come in judgment The world is going to be refined by fire. A new heavens and new earth will result. But you can wait and hasten, moving the day forward. And there are actually two ways the scriptures tell us this. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Right? Jesus is addressing his disciples. He's telling them what life is going to be like between the advents. It's going to be hard. There's going to be earthquakes and wars and persecution and rumors of war. It's not going to be an ideal world. It's going to be a really messed up world. Read. We'll see it. Matthew 24. Like This is what Jesus is like. Hey, listen. Life between the advents is still really messed up. But you can do something about it. When the gospel goes out to all the nations, then the end will come. And nation doesn't, Jesus didn't have in mind when he says that the modern nation states with borders on the map. He means people groups. Groups of people with their distinct cultures and languages. Missiologists note that of the people around the world, they track this kind of information because they believe this to be true. And Frontier is one of the reputable mission agencies and does this kind of work, says, that, says this, one-fourth of the world's population lives in a people group that have one, less than one-tenth of their population are professing Christians and no gospel movement. That means there's almost no way for them to hear about Jesus. One quarter of the world's population. There are things that you can do to hasten that promise. Go. I mean, some of you need to go to these groups. Lay down your stuff. Lay down the stuff and the life that is going to be consumed with fire to build that which will last into the new heavens and new earth, people who belong to Jesus. 
but not everybody here can go. Some of you can prepare your kids to go. We're often too concerned with hastening them having a lucrative career than hastening the Lord's return. Thirdly, you can support the work of world missions by prayer and with your money. But Peter, switching gears, here tells us the other way that we hasten, we bring that day even nearer. Verse 11, the lead into waiting and hastening in verse 12, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? It is worth the effort, every single effort to pursue a life of holiness, to live lives of godliness, because it will be rewarded. It's a promise you can bank on if you're just wondering, like, why put sin to death in me? It doesn't seem to make any point. It doesn't lead me anywhere. God's pulling the day closer. If you're tired and worn out from living in a fallen world and you're just thinking, I just want all of this to go away, you can either stop waiting and just give up and abandon the faith or medicate it. You just go numb. Or you can throw yourselves into Jesus. And pursue a life of godliness and holiness. Here's Peter's reasoning throughout this passage. You don't belong to this fallen world. You don't belong to this present evil age. You don't belong to these last days. It's verse 3. The Christian belongs to the world to come. And since that is the case, and this world is going to be consumed by fire and replaced with the new heavens and new earth, begin to live lives that reflect the age to come and you will hasten the day of Christ Jesus on Friday one of the largest betting sites FanDuel in the world paid out to everyone who had bet on Alabama to win the national championship they just went ahead and if you had bet in the preseason that Alabama were going to win the national championship they just went ahead and paid you on Friday Alabama still had three games at least to play. Three more games teams against the toughest teams in the nation. They almost lost yesterday. They were, but what FanDuel was doing is like, look, this is, the rest is just a formality. We're just going to cash that out now. There's such confidence they were doing. You see what they were doing is they were bringing the future into the present. So let's just, let's just live as if this future reality is a present reality. Well, Alabama almost lost, and they might still lose, but Jesus won't because he can't. Because the future new heavens and new earth have been guaranteed by his past. The first coming guarantees the second coming. That's what it means to have a grounded hope. 
He took on our sin and suffered and died, and God raised him from the dead and exalted him in heaven. He has already won. The future is guaranteed, and so bank on Jesus with hope. And pursue a life of godliness and holiness and lay everything down so the gospel can go out to the nations because God is paying out his promises in the future. He will not leave us in any of those pursuits alone. Hasten the day of the Lord. God will pour out all the strength that you need, all the hope that you need, and then Jesus will return. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that this is not the end. Oh, God, give us hope. Help us to live between the advents, and we pray, give us a zeal for the glory of Jesus that so drives our lives, our parenting, our spending, that we give all, all to Him. And then, then He returns and gives all that He has to us. We long for that day and we beg you, come Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in your name, our Savior. Amen.